I'm Alex Mito. And I'm James Milley. And this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. What's going on, business artists? You are listening to The Artist Business Plan, which means that you are certifiably awesome. If you don't know me by now, my name is Alex Mito. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Superfine Art Fair. We're the most widespread art fair for artists in the U.S., and we're one of the top resources for all things art, artist, and marketing of your art. I'm also one of our two hosts here on the Artist Business Plan, along with my partner, James Milley. We now reach over 5,000 monthly listeners just like you in 90 countries across the globe and growing every single week. Today, we've got Peter Trippi here with us on the mic. Peter is going to share an awesome masterclass with you today on how to become attractive to writers and art magazines. I don't know about you, but I am so excited to hear what he has to say. But first, I've got an amazing offer here just for you, ABP listeners. Artists, have you ever felt anxious, alone, and not sure about the next move for your career? Good news, those days are over. For nearly six years, we've taken thousands of hours to develop the best art fair model for artists out there. Superfine art fairs have helped hundreds of artists just like you take control of their careers, build relationships with collectors, and create the art income and freedom that you deserve. For a limited time, we are offering you the chance to not only get a great discount on your booth, but also appear on this very podcast as a special guest reaching thousands of artists, art influencers, collectors, and arts professionals every day. To find out how you can take advantage of this incredible opportunity, just visit www.superfine.world offer to learn more. We can't wait to welcome you to the Superfine community and start helping you sell more art today. All right, so we are back here with Peter Trippi, and we're ready to change the way you think about your art career. Peter Trippi is editor-in-chief of Fine Art Connoisseur, the magazine that serves collectors of contemporary and historical realist art. He's also president of Projects in 19th Century Art, a firm that he established to pursue research, writing, and curating opportunities. Based in New York City, Trippi directed the Dahesh Museum of Art and co-curated international touring exhibitions devoted to the 19th century painters J.W. Waterhouse and Lawrence Alma Tadema. His current exhibition, Artful Stories, Paintings from Historic New England, is on view at the Eustace Estate in Milton, Massachusetts through October 2021. Welcome to the Artist Business Plan. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm a big fan. We're glad to have you. Glad you're a fan. So before we dive into our questions today, I want to ask you something we ask all of our guests that helps our listeners get to know the real Peter. What is the earliest memory that you have of art? Can you share that with us? Oh, I was very fortunate to grow up in a household where my mother was volunteering and then working at the Smithsonian Institution and the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C. So I remember going along on museum visits when I was very small uh, and just feeling very comfortable in the museums. You know, it was not a scary place where you felt like there was a homework assignment around the corner. You just sort of were at ease. And I got to know the people behind the doors as well as you know, seeing the stuff out on the walls. The other thing is I do remember a book about Henri Matisse in our home that I just loved because of all those colors. You know, I just remember really looking through it, not necessarily understanding every detail, but just enjoying it. So there was really no fear with art. It didn't seem foreign. I love that. And, and it, this is a story we hear fairly often from our guests, just growing up in a family that supports art and takes you to museums and also has that Henri Matisse book lying around for the kids to pick up and read. 
And I, what I find really amazing about this, and I often comment about it to the point where our listeners might be bored with this, but I think it's still really interesting, is you know what people have chosen to do with their lives, like yourself, Peter, who were exposed to art at such a young age. And I think that's just a really cool thing to point out. I, I am fully in agreement. And I think that I can't stress enough, isn't it amazing how children drink in things that we don't even perceive them as drinking in? They're looking, they're listening, they're paying attention. When we think that they're distracted or bored, they're not. So let's just put it in front of them and let them make sense of it. (laughs) I I love that. And I absolutely agree. So next time you're thinking of laying out the People magazines, maybe put out an art book instead. Right. (laughs) So I'm going to jump into the questions now, Peter. So when an artist or the representative reaches out to your magazine, which I'm sure happens all the time, what are some of the things that you wish they would know in order to present the most professional package for your team to work with? Um, That's absolutely uh, right up my alley because um, I get so many inquiries. Uh, Most of them now come by email. Some come through social media, but obviously uh, where there's a lot of attachments, uh, it's usually easier with email. The fact is that, you know, most of the pitches I get from artists or dealers or agents, publicists, are pretty well put together when it comes to the words. You know, people have spell check and it's not really a problem to sift through the words. What amazes me in this day and age is that if we're talking about visual art, why aren't there more pictures visible right up front? I find that it's just breathtaking how many of these pitches come in as if they're marketing some sort of literary project. One of the great virtues of our field is that it is so visual. So why not put a few thumbnails into the body of the communication just so I have a sense of what kind of art is this? And I don't mean that in a judgmental way. If it is, for example, abstract sculpture, I probably won't pursue it in my magazine, but I will gladly steer the sender to some other outlet that might be able to help. But I need to have a sense of what that is. If I have to start digging down too deeply, clicking on links, opening up all sorts of obscure attachments, then it gets to be a problem. I'm afraid that we're all moving fast and I'm looking at 10 to 15 pitches per day. And so, therefore, I start to push things aside or winnow them or forget about them, and then I come back to them a bit too late for being useful. So that's the first thing off the bat, I'd say, the visual features that need to be right up front. Another aspect that I'm really interested in is, you know, I often get a storyline, and that's great. Like, this artist has overcome amazing personal odds to make work. Great. But what is the big idea? It's not just the biography. It's also what is the core of this exhibition or this body of work? What should we be able to take away? What some people call the elevator pitch. That is useful to see up front too, rather than buried in an artist statement that is attached in some one of 10 files uh, that are hard to uh, sift through. Um, So those two are the keys. I can bore you with two more that are kind of nitpickish, but you'd be surprised how many people leave it out. One is the artist's birth year. People get a little surprised when I say that. They say, well, wait, you're being nosy. Are you trying to you know, get my personal details? No, not at all. I don't want your birth day. I want your birth year, because that will help me set into context your generation. Where is this work and your amazing story fitting into the continuum of your generation. And that is not being ageist at all. That is just trying to make sense of what we've got here. Obviously, 
the work must stand on its own feet. But I think it's really quite easy to include that birth year, or even in some cases, if you wish, an inference of the decade in which you were born, so that we get some handle on that. The other piece of it is that very often we don't know when these artworks were completed. Are they this year, last year, 10 years ago? That helps a lot. Not that we're going to necessarily include that information, although we like to. It's just that it lets us know where the work fits into your continuum. Those things matter to me. I'm a historian, and one of my passions is to connect contemporary art making to the past, not in a kind of, oh, look how derivative this is way, not at all, but to sort of talk about where everything fits in. And I think a lot of collectors and onlookers get that because they go to museums and they see how art history feels and they want to know where today fits in or not. I love all of that, Peter. And I'm just going to take a moment to summarize it for our listeners because I think it's such valuable insight. And I really love having someone from the publishing or writing or editing world on this on this podcast because when you mentioned the volume of pitches you receive, like 15 per day, I mean, I've, I've had writers on here who anywhere from 10 to 50 pitches every single day. And for artists to know whether you're the one doing the direct outreach or whether you have a publicist or a gallery doing it for you, just to be aware that the people on the other end are getting this volume and to really listen to what people like Peter say is, I think, so valuable and important. For starters, more pictures. And that kind of reminds me of something I was talking to a friend about this weekend. Uh, we were talking about writing screenplays. And the, the, the idea is show, not tell, right? I mean, it's a visual medium. So, of course, you can have supporting information, and you should, especially if there's like you know a broader context to it. But really bringing those images front and center, because like Peter said, and Peter's a nice guy, if you email him and it doesn't fit his publication, but it fits another one that maybe he knows through his network, if he can see your work front and center, it's easier to just forward it around to someone else or to put you in, in touch with someone else versus like really having to dig and dig through attachments and links and portfolios. I mean, really just having some imagery front and center, I totally agree, so important. And along with that, bringing that elevator pitch or whatever that summary that you know really explains the relevance of your work to that publication right up to the front, also really vital. And a couple really interesting tidbits, and I've not heard these on this podcast, so I love hearing this stuff because it's it's a different perspective. The artist's birth year, you know, it helps the writer or the editor or whoever's receiving this set into context your generation where this fits in. And it's not nosy; it's just helping them figure out where do you fit into their programming and their writing. I mean, like if you're a young artist, maybe you fit into an under 30 category. And if you're not, maybe you fit into a different category. So being able to let them know that off the bat is going to be very valuable too. And lastly, when was the art completed? I will kind of add a little addendum to this as an art fair owner that I will sometimes have artists who've applied to Superfine and they made the work 30 years ago. And I kind of need to know that, you know, like, are we presenting this as like the most emerging contemporary art or is it something you made a while ago? And like, if you made new work, are you, should you be putting it in the same booth with work from 30 years ago? It's all helpful to know. So it's not a judgmental thing. It's just for everyone to know upfront what's going on. I think it's super, super important. Absolutely. Right on the target. Thank you. That's really helpful. I want to add one thing, and that would be, just to be clear, when it comes to images up front, I would say two or three is plenty. Don't feel like one has to put you know, all 10 or 12 of your favorite new works in that front matter. I would say two or three at least serve as placeholders. Then the attachments or the link that you're sending can provide 
more images. I understand that a lot of stuff gets clogged up in email or you don't want to make it look like some sort of, you know, cluttery experience visually. Fair enough. Uh, But at least two or three will help me place it. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Peter. And I would add one thing there is when you send those photos or those images in the body of your email, make sure you put like small or best fit on it because otherwise you can send someone a picture that is full size that you have to expand and scroll right and left and down to see. And I've gotten those emails before where there's five images in it and they're all like massive and I can't (laughs) see them. So something like, you know, what, depending what email server you use, I know in Gmail, it says small, original and best fit. I would always recommend best fit versus original because that might be enormous. So just my little take there. (laughs) Amen. Thank you. That's exactly right. Awesome. So moving on to our next question. So part of a great press package is photographs of an artist's work, which we just spoke about. What are some benefits to great photography of artwork and documenting it before it leaves an artist's studio? What are some of the, the benefits and perks of having your work photographed properly? Naturally, if you're making a pitch, Uh, you want those images to really speak for you because they need to be compelling. They need to be clear, crisp, and large format. Now, when I say large format, understood that you know, a good photograph uh, these days digitally is uh, sizable so that you can have the small one in the initial pitch and then you can have the full-size TIFF file available for publication uh, so it can fill a full page, for example. That's pretty easy and inexpensive to do these days compared to the old days when you used to have to hire a photographer to come into the studio. A lot of this work can now be done by the artist himself or herself or a close ally. I know it's not easy. Believe me, photographing art not simple. But I want to stress this. It isn't just about publicity and marketing. It's also about building your archive. As a historian, I'm very concerned about the fact that we're seeing a lot of artists, no matter how tech-savvy, allowing works of art to leave their possession without being fully photographed to a high standard. This is your legacy. And if you can't have that at hand for future curators, dealers, historians, anybody to say, this is what I did in 1997, this is what I did in 2007, you've got a problem. Now, I understand that a lot of people going back in time may not have digital, but they're going to need to convert the old transparencies into digital at some point so that all of that is digitally available too. And I just, I worry that if indeed there is, God forbid, a fire or a flood in the studio or in the home of a private collector or even in a museum warehouse, that work is gone forever if it hasn't been photographed fully to a high standard. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And obviously, you know, for contemporary artists working today, it could not be easier to get high quality images. And I would suggest if you don't have the camera, cameras are expensive. My partner's a photographer. I mean, they're they're pricey, thousands of dollars. So if you're not a photographer and you don't have that camera, chances are somebody in your network does. And you might be able to offer them something not too crazy to come in and photograph your art, maybe even like give them a small piece or a print or something. Or if they're a really good friend, they'll just do it as a favor. But there's definitely, it's not as crazy. You don't need to hire a you know $500 an hour photographer to come in and do it. I do like that you mentioned TIFF files for a publication. So, you know, if you are at that final stage where you're, and ideally you want to be ready to submit your work for print. So you should maybe have those TIFF files already saved on your computer along with JPEGs for social media, for those immediate introductory photos that you include in the email, but also having those TIF TIFF files available. So when someone like Peter says, excellent, great, this is going to print, 
can you send me those that you're not taken aback and you're ready to send them over? I think that's a really little gem in that, that answer. Cool. And then also large format images. And, you know, if you have created work in the past that you have on a transparency or however else you have it, you're taking the time to actually convert it, which made me want to mention, actually, last week, I interviewed a gentleman named Justin, who is the founder of Artwork Archive, which is a really cool online service. Once you do that work and you and you get your images together, it actually can act as a place where you can organize all of your content and all of your images and many other things. So it's something to look into something like that, or even just using Google Drive, Dropbox, different ways of organizing, very important stuff. Moving along, another documentation trend right now is filming brief videos of an artist creating work. We see that a lot on social media and just in general. What do you think an artist should include in a video like this in order to best reach and maybe speak to their intended audience, be it like collectors, press, or whoever else? Yeah, it's a wonderful trend. I'm delighted to see it happening. I think if only we could go back in time and have Henri Matisse, you know, talk to us in this way. Obviously, he was filmed during the early 20th century, but not to the same extent that we can do now uh, in terms of um, uh, the beauty of the filmmaking and also uh, the flexibility of it. Aren't we lucky to live in this time where any idiot like me can hold up this little iPhone and make a really impressive film just by touching a button. Uh, it's it's great, and we should take advantage of that more. If I'm going to go to the next level of learning about an artist and thinking, oh yeah, this is great work, I've seen the pitch, I want to go deeper, I'm looking at the website, uh, that could be the artist website or the gallery website or some other, a three to five minute video that just runs me through the highlights for, let's say, this year or this two-year period would be very helpful. And specifically, I would love to see a few things included. Let me see your personality. You do not have to be a sparkling talk show host, but just be your authentic self. And let me get a look at you, not in any judgmental way. Whoever you are, it's good. I just want to sense that appearance. The uncomfortability of presenting alone is really off-putting for some artists, and I fully understand that. So there's the question of, rather than just you know holding up the phone and doing selfies, is it easier to chat with a trusted friend or colleague who may or may not be on camera? It's not really important uh, that some artists are just going to be much more comfortable in conversation with the videographer or some ally. That's cool. That, that actually sometimes opens it up to feel less stagey and a little bit more authentic because that's when the really good ideas begin to flow. Speaking of ideas, it's that big idea that we talked about earlier, this kind of quick you know, elevator pitch summary of what exactly is your art work about. And I mean that in the biggest sense, your, your set of interests. Uh, what, what are they? I'd love to know. I'd love to see you talking in front of at least one artwork telling me why it looks like it does. You know, this might be one or two works that are especially revealing of what you're up to right now or this year. Just pointing out some details, pointing out the theme or the narrative, if that's the case, that's really helpful because it shows you interacting with the work and sort of looking at it. This is where the on-camera or even off-camera conversant can be helpful. Uh, you know, so-and-so can say, why is this area pink when the rest of it is blue? And I'm being facetious here, but you know, every work of art carries with it some set of interests uh, that are discussable in a very immediate way. Also, I'd love to see your techniques, like at the easel or with a chisel in your hand, not super complicated, not super technical, where other artists would care about exactly which pigment you're using. Just a little bit of that 
action. I mean, you know, everybody talks about the Jackson Pollock videos from the um, late 1940s, early 1950s. It doesn't have to be that dramatic. It can just be very quiet, uh, showing the brushstrokes applied or whatever. But I think that brings us in a little to the uh, amount of energy or thoughtfulness that's required to make the work you do. I'd also like to see the studio space itself, just to get an idea of context. If you could just pivot the camera around, show the work area, whether it's you know an easel or a platform, uh, possibly a model uh, who's standing there, although that is not essential. All of that sets some context for me. And also, you're going to laugh, but it's true. Can you just step outside and show me the exterior of the studio? Is it on a hallway in a studio building? Is it in a barn? Uh, at the edge of a field? Uh, is it along a busy road? That also gives us a quick sense of where you are and how you live in the world, if that makes any sense. I'm not talking about your home. I'm talking about your studio. I really believe that studios shape us as art lovers and artists, and I just would like to have a taste of that without going into too much depth. And then finally, I would love for the artist to talk about influences. That is not to say you're derivative. It's just to put you in some context. That comes back to something I said earlier. Who did you look to in the past of art history, in the present today? Who do you admire? This does not have to be a list. It can just be one or two names that are pertinent. And it doesn't mean that your art looks like theirs. It's just about getting a sense of what moves you in the whole story of art. And I think that helps a lot of outsiders understand you a little better. There's an easy comfort we've got in conjuring up, let's say you said Andrew Wyeth. I can instantly picture that. I don't need a slide of what Andrew Wyeth's work looks like, but I can say, oh yeah, I get that. I can see why you making this work here would love Wyeth, you know, growing up or, or you discovered him in a museum exhibition or whatever it might be. That's pretty powerful stuff. And that gives me a kind of 360 view of you. And I understand that's a lot to accomplish in three to five minutes, but even if you hit 80% of that, I'd be grateful. I love that. And guys who are everyone listening, I mean, there's so much value in what Peter just outlined for us. And I just want to start by saying I would definitely pay to see a YouTube video of Henri Matisse making his work. So if anyone has some undiscovered footage, please put it up. I'd love to watch. And just kind of diving in one more time to what, you know, what Peter has gone over with us here three to five minute video. I mean, it's super achievable with an iPhone or, you know, any type of any camera. We just talked about uh, photography, still photography, but almost every digital camera right now does have the function of video as well. And you can get a pretty inexpensive mic that makes the sound all that much better. I mean, I've done it. We've done it many times. And I want to kind of add one thing before I summarize the points here. Editing makes it look way better and it flows way better. And it's not this black box that's super difficult. You don't have to edit it yourself. There's websites like Fiverr or Upwork that you can check out. That's Fiverr with two R's and Upwork. And we'll put those in the show notes for you. And you can hire an editor on a one-time basis to help edit raw video that you know maybe a friend comes in and shoots for you, sends you, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. And you can have an editor edit it down to three to five minutes and really save yourself from having to do that work and, and make it look all the more professional. That's just my little bit of input to add there. So the things you're going to want to cover are personality, your authentic self. So it's not, you know, the person on the other end is not judging you. So really show who you are. You can definitely chat with a trusted friend or colleague. And, and I mean, I totally get that versus just talking at a camera. I mean, that's why this podcast is fun for me. I can talk to people. And <laughs> yeah, you get me here sitting with a microphone talking. It's going to be like, duh, 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 like a robot. So it's 
gonna it might sound way better if you just have a friend come in you can even cut out their questions but just to keep the the kind of vibe of of speaking with them we want to see what is your art about like you know talk about what it is about and then show us at least one artwork and, and talk about how it was made what you did with it show some techniques you know at the easel with your chisel with your camera and Remember, you're not showing this, you know, it's not an instructional art video. You're not showing exactly, you know, what pigment you used or the what exact brush you used, but just give us an idea of how this is made. What is your unique way of making art? We want to see the studio space itself, where and how you work. It helps set context. And that's been a recurring theme in this conversation is really getting context. We're talking about, you know, when you're reaching out to somebody, whether it be media publication, collector, gallery art fair, whoever's on the other end of that email, and it usually is an email at this point, you know, they need context, they don't know you yet. So showing your studio space, I completely agree. If you're like a super neat, like Scandinavian, minimal <laughs> artist, I want to know that about you, right? I want to know that's part of your personality and how you work. And if you're super messy, and it's all over the place, and there's giant stacks of paint, I know an artist who has <laughs> literal sandcastles of dried paint in his, in his home. <laughs> want to see that that's really cool. That's something that to talk cool. about. It's very cool. So br bring that to the forefront, show us in the video. And I like that, Peter, step outside and show the exterior of your studio. If you are in like industrial downtown LA and it's gritty and it's cool, I mean, show that. If you're like on a desert island, show that. We, it's so cool to see where you physically are in the world because no matter what, that's influencing your work. Lastly, talk about your influences from other artists and it is not in any way showing you to be derivative but it helps put you in immediate context again for that person on the other end of that email or message or however you're reaching out. So I think that's a really, really loaded, full of value answer, Peter. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And I mean every word of it. Um, if I can just add uh, two things. When I am combing through these pitches and examining possibilities, I'm looking not just at the artworks, but also at the artist herself or himself. That, you know, it's not about commoditizing you. It's just about understanding how all this came to exist because we are bombarded with wonderful images. And by the way, a lot of terrible images too, but we assume you're wonderful, your, your art. You know, I also want to know more about how this came to exist. And so, just making you present in a world that is so dehumanized and so global and so cut off from each other by the pandemic, this helps enormously and at a relatively low cost. The other thing I want to say is simply that this idea of what are your influences or, or the people you have admired, that comes back to a point you made earlier about what if the year of your birth helps an editor put you in the under 30 article, right? It's a quick, fast-moving decision-making process that a lot of editors are going through. And if they see the birth year, oh, great, we're going to put them in this article because it's a roundup. Ditto for the influence business. Like I just mentioned Andrew Wyeth, there is you know a lot of work being made in the spirit of Wyeth. Not copycat, not at all. But that piece of information may help the editors say, aha, there is a thing going on here. And that can lead to really interesting conversations and articles. Yeah. And I absolutely agree. And whether we're talking about video or the content of an email or however it is, just whoever's on the other end, that editor, that writer, or even a collector or gallery, they're not just looking at the artwork, but at the artists themselves. And that is a good seg because next Peter is going to tell you more about what you want to know about collecting art and a lot more. But first, a message from our sponsors. New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and yes, Miami. 
These are just a few of the places where you and your art can meet your next collector when you take the next step and exhibit with us at Superfine Art Fairs. For nearly six years, we've taken thousands of hours to develop the best art fair model for artists out there. Superfine Fairs have helped hundreds of artists just like you take control of their careers, build relationships with collectors, and create the art income and freedom that you deserve. For a limited time, we're offering you the chance to not only get a great discount on your booth, but also appear on this very podcast as a special guest, reaching thousands of artists, art influencers, collectors, and arts professionals every day. To find out how you can take advantage of this incredible opportunity, just visit www.superfine.world offer to learn more. Don't miss the chance to be a part of the top business artist community in the world. Now we are back here with Peter Trippi. Peter, you wrote an article called Collecting for the Right Reasons, where you describe the real trick, which is to buy wonderful, unbranded art on a regular budget. And that is something we're all about at Superfine. That's the formation, the basis of our business. What are your suggestions for collectors out there on keeping up with artists and getting in early on valuable artworks? And that could mean financially valuable or just like, you know, valuable in terms of important to the people who buy them. Absolutely. You know, I am passionate about collectors. Uh, In my uh, 15 years with this magazine, I've been really blessed to meet so many great, thoughtful collectors who are buying what they love uh, for, as I say, the right reasons. You know, beyond checking the websites and social media channels and so on, I'm so excited that when things go back to a kind of normal uh, and that's not that far away. Let's go back to fairs like Superfine. Let's see art on our feet. Let's go to galleries. Let's walk the streets of Chelsea, et cetera, and go from gallery to gallery, fair to fair, looking at art with our own eyeballs uh, in front of them, not just JPEGs and TIFFs. I also think very highly of open studio days. I can't wait for us to go back into Gowanus or Long Island City or the Uptown Stroll in Manhattan and look at actual studio spaces like I was raving about before. There's such extra pleasure that comes from being in those spaces with the artists themselves. Certainly, you know, collectors should be signing up for newsletters like Artist Business Plan. Uh, there's always a, a kernel of usefulness in in any kind of communication like that for every possible art lover, artist, dealer, agent, whatever. Our own company, Streamline Publishing, produces fine art today and realism today. And we've got all of that subscription information on our website, streamlinepublishing.com. That's all free. I also want to make a pitch for joining departmental support groups at museums. Just for example, if you click on Whitney.org, the Whitney Museum of American Art, and then search the phrase patron groups, you will find these support groups that are, you know, essentially members of the museum who gather for specific topics like sculpture or art of the 19th century. Those are really wonderful because, first of all, you're donating to a good cause, but also you are getting invitations to be together with other collectors and art lovers. And I think we can't stress enough how important that is to learn from each other, not just from, you know, the marketing and publicity channels that we all know and love. Obviously, if you can, feel free to join a board of trustees at a museum or a nonprofit organization, because although that often requires some sort of cash donation or gift of art, it is a great way to meet kindred spirits. That is just as viable uh, as the patron group that I mentioned before. And in fact, the trustees have a little more control over the programming uh, down the line because they work closely with the curatorial staff. So all of those are open avenues for collectors today. 
I love that you only mentioned Instagram in passing and only one of these tips was, <laughs> was digital. And I, I love that because I mean, we've all been kind of dealing with this past year and a half and or year, whatever, I don't know. And we want to get back out there. So I, I agree with you, Peter. And, you know, going back to art fairs and galleries and, and just so everyone knows, many in many cities around the world, galleries are open, sometimes by appointment. And art fairs will begin happening, including ours, this fall with different timed entry, different limitations, obviously a lot of protections, PPE. But, you know, kind of keep abreast of all of your favorite galleries, fairs, and just see what they're doing. Freeze Art Fair will be coming back in May. We are most likely having art fairs this fall in different cities around the country. So do keep in touch with that. The open studio days, like things like oh, Gowanus Open Studios, they're wonderful. And whenever those are available to you, I mean, please do take advantage of them. Otherwise, you know, you can reach out to artists even now and show up with your mask on and go into the studio. And this is being recorded in early 2021. So I hope that by your, the time you're listening to this, you're like, what? What do you mean? I hope that's the case. But if we're <laughs> wearing the mask, then do it. You know, reach out to an artist. And oftentimes you can go and be socially distant and see their work. Signing up for newsletters. This is our one digital tip here. Streamlinepublishing.com is the company Peter works for. And you definitely should get on there and get on their various newsletters affiliated with their publications. Ours is superfine.world. You cannot miss the sign up. Uh, that is the first thing when you get there to the, to the main URL that gives all your updates on this podcast and other things we have going on. And I like the museum support groups and joining a board of trustees. These are both really good options. And I will say kind of to add something, because I'm quite familiar with this world in Miami, New York, and LA, there are sometimes smaller museums that still bring in really wonderful programming. And it can be a little easier, a little less daunting to get involved with them. Uh, let's say like the Bass in Miami Beach, or there's quite a few Society of Illustrators in New York City, just to name a couple off the top of my head, where you might be able to kind of get into their programming a little bit easier than, let's say you just hop into the Met, not to right. say that doesn't have some wonderful programming. A friend of ours actually is part of the Met Apollo Circle, and there's a lot of cool stuff. But uh, but there's also these some somewhat like smaller museums that still get incredible programming, and it's worth it to see what you can do with them, join and get into their support groups and boards of trustees as well. Yes, definitely. Lots of museums of all different sizes all around the country. We're so lucky to have so many options that way. Yep. And they all need your support too. And, they, and in my opinion, all museums need diverse voices, young voices, uh, racially diverse voices, gender diverse voices. So do get involved. It's very, very helpful to everybody. Cool. So we are on to our last official question, and we're going to talk about documenting artwork, uh, which is obviously very important for collectors as well as artists. What would you find to be a safe and practical way for collectors to document their work and the work that they own while connecting with curators and other art lovers? Is there any kind of like social network type thing for that? Well, you know, just as it's important for an artist to uh, take good photographs of his or her legacy, uh, I think it's important for collectors to document what they've got. Certainly, I just went through this process in the last, gosh, nine or 10 months. Um, with all the time on my hands at home, I said, hey, I really need to catalog uh, the art that I've accrued over many years. So I went to Artwork Archive. You just mentioned that organization, which is fantastic. Uh, I went ahead and signed up for a membership, and I was able to photograph and upload all of that documentary material about my 150 works of art to the system. And it's so nice to have that in the cloud now where I can know that it's safe in case, God forbid, there's a fire in my apartment. At least I know that there is a record of what I had 
and that will help you know the insurance company and the conservators and all of that. It also gives me great pleasure. I've sort of rediscovered my own collection because I've been able to go back through and you know measure it and take a look at it more closely and just enjoy all the happy memories that go with each work of art. There's that idea of documentation, and then there's also the notion of sharing that information with trusted people, not to be a show-off, not to talk about investment value, but to simply get pleasure from it. Uh, I mentioned the patron groups already, uh, the idea that there are these you know, kindred spirits out there who are also supporting museums and nonprofit organizations and clubs, and you know, maybe they will be willing to show you their collection if you show them yours. Um, there is a safe way to do that now, and that is not only through Artwork Archive, which is developing a program in this direction, but also fastari.com. That's V as in Victor, A-S-T-A-R-I. It's based in London, but it is very active in America. And it is basically a way for private collectors to indicate what they own so that that um, material is visible to museum curators and other art world professionals who are organizing exhibitions that might want to borrow or illustrate your works. And that, I think, is a wonderful way to show support for the artists, for the ideas of what's in your collection, that that is something uh, very trustworthy. This is not just any old thief looking for expensive or cool things to steal. This is very much about serious uh, scholarship and work. And Vastari is run by an art historian and is eager to make sure that everybody knows that there are certain parameters on this. That's one way to move the field forward, especially for the kind of art you love. I love these answers because I am learning a lot. I am a big collector as well. I have over 350 original works. And so when I had Justin on last week to talk about our artwork archive, and by the way, I had no idea you were familiar with it, Peter. So it's a nice, <laughs> I was really psyched because I am familiar with them. You know, I've read a lot of their content online, but I didn't really know too much about what they did. And I think it's really neat, the idea of like rediscovering your own collection and having it organized in one place like you know, should something ever happen and you just have to have that organization, but also just for you to reference. Um, for me, that's a very real thing right now because I think I mentioned to Peter just before we began recording, but I, we just bought a new house, moved out of our apartment in the city, and about 70% of our collection is in storage. And I have forgotten what we own until I see like a picture of it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we have that painting. Like, where is it? <laughs> and so I really wish I had done that. And And the next time this happens, I definitely will. I love, you know, revisiting the patron groups and sharing your work, you know, and when we are comfortable having, and many of us are now getting vaccinated and becoming more comfortable socializing, but being able to meet people who are like-minded, invite them to your home and show them your work and vice versa is really cool. And this other site, vastari.com, I just wrote it down myself, V-A-S-T-A-R-I.com. Is that correct, Peter? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Perfect. And, yep. and I love that. It's a way for private collectors to indicate what they own. And that's a question I've often wondered myself, you know, if I have works that are, let's say, museum quality, which is a kind of a weird thing to say, but, you know, any work can be museum quality, depending what shows are going on. And I was like, how would a museum know I have this? I mean, like, they're going to call the artist or the gallery, I don't know. So being able to be on this, I would, I don't know if you would describe it as a social network, but a place where museums and others who are interested or very serious about it can find the work you own, I think is really interesting. And I would actually say this extends to artists. Many artists I know are either collectors themselves or they've traded much work with other artists and become collectors that way. So it's a nice way to have the works that you own, however you own them, in this place. So I think that's a very cool uh, tip, and I'd like to get on that myself. Uh, absolutely. So true. Uh, I, I think it's important for us to recognize that right now, because we don't take full advantage of these amazing digital resources that 
do exist or can exist, we often find curators talking to the same old people, the same dealers, the same artists they happen to know, and getting the same X hundred names for the next show. And that is not anyone's fault. That is just about our not really maximizing this incredible information wave that we're living through. Everything you just said is right on target. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think that's, you know, if you look at a museum show and you're saying, well, that's a little stuff here, it's not, not what I would want to see. Maybe you need to kind of play a role in getting that information out there and writing the information wave so that others, including museum curators, can find the work that you have that is so awesome and cutting edge and start including it in shows as well. And that's not an indictment of any museum particularly just something to keep in mind. So Peter, this has been an amazing conversation. Let's bring it home for our listeners out there. What should our audience do right now to start revving up their careers in a major way? Well, I mean, beyond all the things that we've suggested <laughs> earlier, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, the idea of start planning for the future as if it will look normal. I really think that we have to think positive, that I am not a Pollyanna. I know that there are challenges ahead on every front, but I really am eager to see our art world get back to some sort of usual or customary. And that means going to fairs, going to the exhibition openings that we all love, seeing colleagues, trading the gossip, learning from each other, going to studios and open days. All of that is not that far off. And so we should essentially lay plans for that. And that's why, you know, for example, uh, photographing old uh, transparencies, you know, converting them. Do it now while we're in this kind of doldrum period so that when we're all back on with a capital O, we're ready to roll. Things like that are actually kind of moving. When you think about this nightmare that we've been living through in a historical context, this is a kind of pause. Let's make the most of it. Guys, Think positive and start planning for the future as if it will look normal. Make the most of now. Do some of these things that maybe you've been putting off. And that is the final word here. To all of you business artists out there, Peter has been here with us today sharing his amazing perspective with you all. You're going to want to go back and take notes. You can listen to this in all of our past podcasts on our website at www.superfine.world. You can connect with Peter. You can visit www.fineartconnoisseur.com. They're also on Instagram at Fine Art Connoisseur Magazine. As always, remember that we are Super Fine Art Fair on Instagram. We always appreciate a share anytime you're listening to, benefiting from, and or enjoying the artist business plan, which I hope you are. And we would always appreciate it if you could take just a moment of your time to write us a review on Apple Podcasts. The ratings and reviews that you write on there are so critical in helping other artist entrepreneurs just like yourselves find us. As always, I would like to wrap up this masterclass by sharing a quick quote with you all. And today the quote is, artists must be men of wit, consciously or unconsciously philosophers. Read, study, and think a great deal of life. And that is Robert Henri. Peter, it's been such a pleasure having you with us today. I've really enjoyed our chat. Thank you for sharing your perspective with our listeners. And for that, we are so grateful to you. Well, thank you for inviting me. I've enjoyed it too. Yeah, it's our pleasure. And everybody else, have an awesome rest of your day. Remember to stay on top of your artist business plan, get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. 
For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this in all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so just follow us on Instagram at superfineartfair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Just shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. Thank you.